Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. I'm Dina Oberst from Gable Tax Group. We are the sales tax gurus, and you're listening to the Outsource Accountant Podcast. Dina, tell us about your business story and its history. Well, Nick, um, I have to first just start out by telling you how I decided to start my company. I was actually a partner at a global tax firm for many, many years and had been hired to hire their sales tax department and develop it for those firms. And in 2016, at turning 50, you know, a pivotal point in most people's lives, I really sat down and thought about the next 10 years. And I thought, you know what, if I've created a sales tax business for global companies, I can do it for myself. And so in 2017, I decided to take the leap from my big corporate job and all that responsibility and that nice pay. <laughs> And I uh, created Gable Tax Group. So on March 1st of 2017, I launched my business, immediately hired um, a senior manager, someone that actually worked with me for 11 years prior. And then a few months later, hired a senior tax manager, or, I mean, a, a tax manager, and pretty much kind of set up my executive team right from the get-go. And the reason why I did that is sales tax, um, doesn't have any extensions and it requires a lot of manpower to do it. And I felt like clients were not going to make a decision to pick us if we didn't have the bench strength. And so I really kind of overhired in the beginning to make sure that we could serve clients of all sizes, both big and small. I love what you just said there, overhired in the beginning. And I think that, you know, within the accounting and bookkeeping world, I think this is where a lot of firms go wrong is that they actually, a lot of the times, higher when it's too late, as opposed to putting in place a people strategy, which we'll talk a little bit about later and thinking ahead of what their needs are and what the capacity is. So I love that. That one thing you've already mentioned really early in today's podcast, but just to give our listeners a little bit more of an overview, tell us about your team structure, both locally um, and then your offshore global team um, and what sort of roles you have in place locally and, and globally. Sure. Well, we have currently 10 employees, well, 10 people on the team. Seven are here in the US, and then we have three TOA team members that we hired in the last year. Um, we've been a, remo a remote workforce since inception of the company. Therefore, it really had no impact whether or not our people were in the Philippines or in California or in you know, Florida. We could actually hire talent um, anywhere within the, the world, actually. So um, the team structure is, is really driven off of, you know, having some ex high level executive management team that can supervise and train the employees. But the whole goal is really to hire accountants that just have an accounting background, but no sales tax background. You don't learn sales tax in school. And so you know, this was uh, our, our ability to hire at TOA was to hire some really smart accountants and then teach them sales tax. And so that's what we did last year. 
Yeah, that's excellent. So tell us a little bit about the story of setting up your, your offshore team. What were the motivations behind doing this versus obviously the many priorities that you have as a, as a business owner? Well, we had a really difficult time hiring talent in the US, to be quite honest. We had job openings uh, that were pretty much open for months at a time, and there really just wasn't any good candidates. Most of the candidates in the US that have an accounting degree want to get what we call their CPA, their Certified Public Accountant, and they want to get that certification. And we're not a CPA firm, so we're never going to be able to fulfill that expectation of a college student here in the US. So we knew that we had to, to go kind of elsewhere to look for talent. And to be honest, the Philippines was the smartest thing we could have ever done. I know it's got a huge pool of talent uh, in the accounting world. And so that's really kind of what drove our decision to um, look at TOA. Excellent. You do work in a very specialized area and it is it's not a simple area either, which is one of the adds probably more complexity to what is already a challenge for most accounting firms as it is. It is. We, it's really hard because once somebody starts in an accounting firm, they're really looking to get their CPA. They spend two years and then they look to job, you know, jump. And we don't really want anyone to jump. We really want someone that loves to serve clients and loves sales tax so that they can build their professional career here. And that's just been really tough here to do in the U.S. I love exactly what you said there. So obviously you had a need for capacity in finding people, but how did you go about getting set up? How did you, I suppose, find us as a partner, the recruitment, the onboarding? What was the process and, and roughly how long did the experience take? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I used to have, um, I, I had a team offshore at my prior company. We had offshore in India and I had 43 people there. And so I was really kind of careful when I thought about offshoring again with my existing management team because I know they didn't have a great experience. So it was really touchy. So I think by going to a different country for sure helped um, lean them towards considering it. But it really was a fluke. I was actually contacted by someone within your organization, Nick Benfield. He found me on LinkedIn. Pursued me, set up a call. We chatted about outsourcing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, ran into him at a trade show and, and uh, really said, you know, maybe we need to take a look. He was a great salesman. <laughs> and really, um, within just a couple of months, we signed a contract and you guys put out a search. We started interviewing. And in September of 19, we hired our first employee, well, our first team member. So started in June and hired in September. So it was a really, really quick process. Excellent. So for someone that is looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them on the type of work that your offshore team do for you? And obviously you're quite specialist, but what were the first tasks and jobs that you got your team to do? You know, we actually treat them exactly like we do the US. Um, we didn't like take just certain tasks and only give them administrative tasks. I mean, they're in, what we do is administrative in nature anyway, but we know they're college educated, accounting degreed and experienced. We hired experienced accountants over on TOA. I wanted to give them challenging work. So what we did is we looked at some of the tasks that kind of built into the more of the consulting. So what we did is we showed them how to prepare tax returns, sales tax returns, and do bank reconciliations and registration applications, which sounds administrative, but in our world, it's really our core business deliverables. You know, we didn't really get into like 
manipulating data and Excel formulas yet. That's where we are now. But in the beginning, it was show you how to fill out a tax return. Let's show you how to do a bank rec. Actually, they all knew how to do bank recs, so we didn't have to show them anything. Um, and so really, I, I mean, they're not doing any different tasks than the US employees do when they first start. We, we treated them exactly the same and they have the same learning cycle, same learning curve. It's a great way to do it. So when we're talking about learning, what advice would you give to our listeners about training your new team? What, what did you do that worked and um, what did you do that they could learn from? You know, that's a great question because we have had a learning curve. You know, we are still kind of a startup firm and being remote really requires us to um, use technology. So we were doing training through like Zoom or Microsoft Teams and we'd have individual training with each team member, US or at TOA. And then we realized we were kind of having to repeat ourselves the second month or the third month because people forget how to do things. So we started to record them. And so what we did is we were videoing or you know, doing the training via Zoom and Microsoft Teams and recording the sessions and then building a library so that that person could actually listen to it again and again until it sunk in because everybody learns a little different. And so that was kind of the biggest change between hiring our first, I'll just say first TOA person versus our third because you guys have had our last three new hires. I haven't hired in the US since we went outsourcing to you. Um, and that has been life-changing for, for my management team, really, not to have to repeat themselves over and over because that gets a little much when you're um, trying to get work done. So that was a lifesaver for sure. Yeah, it's a great tip. And it, I always find it interesting that particularly that, you know, accounting firms for many years have trained their teams, but they've never, they've always just trained the new person as they've come on. They've never thought about it. It's only when you go remote that you go, well, hang on, I don't want to have to train it remotely every time. So let's create a library of, of training uh, that we can then use locally and globally with any team members that we put on moving forward. And you know, I really like, I love that idea. I really love Well, that Nick, idea. I would say this too, to your listeners is that it doesn't have to be perfect. I think my managers were really shying away with, well, it's not formal. And I'm like, just wing it. The questions are there. They can use it. It's not for mass distribution. It's all internal. There's going to be mistakes. And they are so glad that they did that because it really helps the teams learn faster. And uh, so you don't have to be perfect is what I'm going to say. Just do it. Just record it. Do it. It is what it is. <laughs> no, I love that. Our, we've, our technology side of the business that builds all of our internal technology, they talk about the agile framework about building cupcakes rather than cakes. So just build a cupcake, get it out rather than a cake. Don't go and bake the whole cake. Just get a cupcake out and get it running and test it, measure it. So I love that. It's particularly learning because things change. I mean, obviously, sales taxes change as well. So this training that you may do may not be set in stone forever because things will be updated. So it doesn't need That's to be right. perfect. Um, so getting on to the next question, what are the top three tips for managing your offshore team? What are the things that you've learned during this? Obviously you've been running remote prior to that, but what are the top three tips for managing your offshore team? Well, obviously communication is key. As you know, being remote, that's usually one of the biggest problems. Um, we like kind of the communication going both ways. So when we talk about the top three is make sure the communication is going both ways. It's one thing to communicate to the team member, but if they're too shy or don't feel comfortable communicating back, that kind of causes a roadblock in being able to move forward into what they learn. So 
really not not asking them to provide all the updates without anything in return, right? So team members feel valued when they're part of the team and they know why they're doing something. Why, you know, in the process, do they have to do it this way versus just telling them? Because I don't want robots. You want someone that understands the process. And so I think if everyone spends a little more time explaining why behind the business decision and why we do it this way, that it helps them understand it and they can you know, problem solve themselves a little bit before they come back for questions. And I think the last one really is to make sure that you create a safe space where they feel comfortable asking the question. You know, actually take the time, listen, be calm, even if you're irritated because you've answered it probably 10 times, make sure that you know, you're, you're giving them the feedback and answering the question so that they feel understood and then setting clear expectations so that they can achieve those goals. I love that one, particularly with the Philippines and the culture of the Philippines of wanting to please all the time. And that's, they're not the culture that will just speak outright on what they think. I mean, I think America, um, the Western world, we're, we're quite happy to speak what we think. In fact, and sometimes we should keep our mouths quiet, but the Philippine culture is very much the opposite where they don't. So I love that last point. It's, it's particularly important for anyone that is new to this. Well, I think we learned, right? So we hired the first guy in September last year and we learned he was super bright, but he was so quiet. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, by the time we got the third one, I'm like, okay, they're quiet, we gotta change it. Cause we know they want, they're just dying to ask a bunch of stuff. And now we kind of giggle about it because they're so open about everything that it's just it's like, oh, I don't know, did we ruin them? It's great for us, but you know, their families <laughs> are probably like, you're talking to those people in California too much. <laughs> I love it. It's all good. <laughs> So how then, how do you measure the success of your offshore team? What KPIs do you use and how do you know if they're, they're performing or not? Yeah, KPIs are funny. You know, in this industry, in the compliance world or even in the consulting world, the traditional KPIs are, you know, chargeable hours or number of tax returns prepared. I have never liked that model. And the reason for it is every client's different everyone learns differently and processes at a different speed and efficiency. So I feel like if you lump everybody in as the same, there's gonna be some failures. People are gonna feel rejected because they're not processing as much as the next guy, but maybe they're more efficient and have less errors than the other person. So I don't like those kind of measurements. I've been in this business long enough that I don't find they motivate people. Um, it actually causes division. And so what we do is we measure the team based on the amount of completed tasks that they're assigned, the efficiencies of those tasks, and the accuracy. Because you can be super accurate, but not efficient. Right? You can spend too much time. And so those are really the three things that we monitor the most. We also monitor the number of questions that they ask because we start to find if they ask too many that maybe we need to go back to the training. Um, to make sure that they understand. I always try to tell my managers that not everyone learns from hearing, they have to see it, right? You got visual learners, audible. I mean, there's various ways. You almost have to do it three different ways all the time so that the, it sinks in. So, and then of course, accountability. Let them own their project. I think they'll do much better if they own it. Yeah, I love that, particularly the, what I phrase as jobs out. And I've seen a lot of what I call modern firms starting to, to track that as a KPI. I mean, how many jobs do you actually get done as opposed to what's sitting in WIP or, or anything else? And I really 
Yeah, I love what you were saying then because I 100% agree. I 100% agree. I, I love your KPIs. Well, gosh, Nick, I came from public accounting. I mean, I watched the games for 20 years of what we did for chargeable hour goals. I mean, yeah. I've watched the behavior for so long. And even on the number of tax returns, you know, that was the KPI we always had to monitor. And I had like one guy that could just do like six times greater than everybody else. But it's just the way he was. He's just an anomaly. So why is that the benchmark for everybody else? Everyone else is going to fail next to him. He's just a superstar. So I've learned a long time ago. I'm very lucky to start this business this late in my life because I've learned so much. Yeah, you know, over 100% the years. agree. Certainly. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value your offshore team provides, what would it be? I would say they're no different than the U.S. talent. I have to be honest. I mean, their cost of living is different, but that that's the same in the US. Someone in Texas has a different cost of living than California, right? Most firms pay people based on regions. So I don't think it's really any different. Um, so that cost was definitely not the driver. I would say the, the best thing is that we were able to find capable and talented team members where we were absolutely struggling to do so in the US. That's a big win. It's definitely a big win. So the question that I often ask um, accounting and bookkeeping firms, and a lot of times they really struggle with this one, do you have a people strategy mapped? And if you do, what do you see the ratio of team members onshore versus offshore um, in the medium to longer term? Yeah, well, like I said before, I've had an offshore team before. It wasn't out a third party. So it was part of our organization at my prior company. So I've already kind of had years of experience of figuring it out. So when we came to working with TOA, we said, okay, we're going to hire three there and three here, right? So our people plan really is to hire the best talent regardless of the source. That That's number one, because if I can't get the resource here, I'm going to go somewhere else. However, we would like to keep a ratio of around 50-50 or 60-40 between onshore and offshore, because it, what I learned during the pandemic is there are unforeseen events that could prevent us from serving our clients. In the sales tax world, we have limited time to prepare the returns that are due every month. There's no extensions to file. And so if there's a natural disaster or civil unrest or government regulations or a pandemic, we need to ensure we have sufficient staff to cover for those that may not be able to work. I mean, it even happens here, right? You have someone that goes on maternity leave for extended period of time you hadn't thought of. Somebody has an illness. I mean, the Philippines, it could be weather related, right? I've heard stories, hasn't impacted us yet. Um, or a pandemic where one of our star players over there um, may have been exposed, didn't come down with it, but it went into quarantine offsite with no internet. <laughs> Can I buy him a laptop? No, he's got no internet. He's in a quarantine camp. And I'm like, okay, we need to hire another person. <laughs> case. Yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thought 12 months ago? So the year ahead, what is your plan with your offshore team? How do you plan to keep growing your team, their capability, and ultimately their performance? Well, we're going to continue to grow the team as new clients come on board you know we add new clients almost every day um so we're constantly looking at this i feel like we were have a job opening almost like year-round just because um, we keep growing so quickly but um you know i think providing the individual training as needed 
and monthly training to increase their overall knowledge is kind of key to how we keep our team educated. We have one-on-one -on -one meetings. And they also have team meetings um, every single month. And then we do special trainings based on what they need. But in terms of the plan to offshore and keep growing, I literally, right two hours before this call with you, this live thing, um, got some news that we have this big client that's getting ready to start. So we're gonna hire three more at TOA before the end of the year and two more in the US. So it just changes. To be honest, Nick, it's kind of a wacky world sales tax. We're the hottest thing <laughs> those last two years. Sales tax has been the hottest topic. Um, so yeah, you have to check back with me uh, next year and, and see where we are. See what happens. Well, growth is always a positive thing. So how, um, the next question really relates to your clients. How has offshoring benefited your clients? Well, offshoring has allowed us to provide more services to our clients because we actually have the resources to get the tasks done timely. For example, sales tax returns are usually done between the 10th and 20th of the month. And so if you have a full team at full capacity, they really don't have the bench strength or time to do anything else. You know, we have clients that have audit needs, registration needs, research needs. I mean, there's other things in the sales tax world besides compliance. So between the 10th and the 20th, I can't just stick our head in the sand and say, you know, clients go away, I'll talk to you in 10 days. That's not really good client service. So I think by offshoring, it's allowed us with our budget to hire a little bit more people because of, you know, the, the cost of living difference. So we're able to actually hire more than we need. So we actually do have more staff than we need, but we like it because we can give them tasks on these special projects that come out of the blue that help kind of keep the client satisfied so we can make sure that the clients get a response within 24 hours, not 10 days. And I love that. I love that customer focus and, and having excess capacity to be able to deal with them, which is obviously why you're growing like you are. So has a question that sometimes this is a positive, sometimes it's not. Has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you more work, life balance for yourself, whatever that means for you? Wow, for me, wow. <laughs> the CEO actually gets to have some kind of contribution out of this? No. <laughs> um, you know, it's a great question because when you posed this question, I was like, hmm, well, it's actually worked out really good. So as a small company, when you're just so top heavy, you end up doing everything. So um, once we hired that third person at, at TOA, we made a major shift this summer and all tasks got shifted. So whatever I was doing, the VP is doing. And so, so we've been push, push, pushing. I had to force it, right? You got to force it. So now I take Fridays off and wow. I play golf. Oh, wow. Because isn't that why I quit that big job? Like, you know, you have to sit back and say, why did you quit that big job if you're just gonna work seven days a week anyway? So I no longer, after hiring the third person through the pandemic, I no longer work on Fridays. Now, not to say I don't work, but I don't take calls, I don't make appointments. I literally play golf with three other ladies every Friday morning. And then in the afternoon, I head out to my COVID getaway in Newport Beach. So that's, that's my Friday, so yes. I definitely am the benefactor of offshoring, um, well, for sure. That is brilliant. And I think the, the key thing you said there, which I, I really want to highlight to the listeners, is that cascading work down, pushing the work down the levels. A lot of the time when people come 
and look at offshoring, they're like, all right, well, I need the most senior role in the Philippines because that's where I'm having the problems. But it's really around how do you just push the work down from, again, the CEO to the VP and just keep pushing it down the level so that everyone's doing more meaningful work. Um, well, I'll tell you, Nick, because I told you we hired the first one last year. I had to force the issue. I had to say, okay, why are you still doing that? It's been a year. Well, I can do it faster. I said, well, that's why you're in the manager role. But how is he ever going to get to manager if you don't let it go? Like, so I, I actually put some strict guidelines on him. I add drop dead deadlines. Like by October 1st, 100% of this client has to be gone and has to be over with this individual. Like you, if you go past October, no bonus for you. No, you know, just like I really had to enforce it because I think it's too easy for them to procrastinate. You can do it faster. Well, I could do it faster. But yeah, I but would take off on Fridays if I was still doing it. Like I don't do billing anymore, right? I was still doing billing. Yeah, and I think that's a key point is that, yes, you may be able to do it faster and you may be better, but you know what? There is someone better than you in the world to do that. And if you don't hand it over, it means that you're always going to be the one having to do it. And I, and I love that. Um, putting accountability on that they have to pass it down. And then I think once they build that trust and they do it, they'll often, a lot of the times, the comments we get, and I know this, we get this from our own internal team, I should have done it earlier. And it's like, well, yeah, we've been telling you <laughs> for six or eight months that they're a better person to do the work than you. Yes, and they're all saying that, Nick. They're all happy about it now, the management team, but they grumbled for a little bit. It's hard, it's painful, um, but they're learning, right? Yeah, they're learning. It's a journey. It definitely is a journey. So has offshoring had a positive effect on the profitability of the business? Well, absolutely, because not only were we able to find talent so quickly, because literally you guys were able to fill those spots so quickly, but you know, we were able to hire super smart professionals professionals at a reasonable salary. Um, and then of course, you know, using a third party like TOA allows us to shift a lot of the administrative and HR, IT, overhead, all of that that goes into managing people. Because like I said, we're hundred percent remote. So like every time I hire somebody in the US that's an employee, I have to figure out how to get registered with the state and employment tax and workers comp. My IT has to get them a laptop and you know all of that. So I would think the offshoring um, definitely is profitable for me because I don't have to deal with those administrative. I mean, you guys handle all of that for us. You guys make sure they have a nice culture, a nice office to work in, that you know they have the tools that they're needed, that they get performance reviews. I mean, you guys manage the people based on cultural um, requirements too, right? You guys know that country and that culture and what makes them thrive. And that would be a huge learning curve for us. So. There's just too much to even enumerate um, how it's it's much more profitable to use an organization and not build it because, you know, I could build a team in the Philippines, right? But what's that going to cost me? I already did that when I had a team in India. It was my own team. I didn't, you know, it wasn't a third party and it's expensive. Yeah. So yeah, the answer is yes. It is highly profitable. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, if you look at everything, right? A lot of times people just look salary to salary. And I tell people never measure the cost benefit salary to salary because there's hidden costs that people forget. It's supervisory, it's overhead, it's training, it's benefits, it's all of that. So dollar to dollar salary, never a good comparison. Don't, don't do that. That, that you're, you're not looking at it the correct way. 
Yeah, I love that. Love that. So what is the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team and is it true? <laughs> well, obviously the myth is that it's, you know, they're slower and less efficient uh, than the U.S. and there's a communication barrier. And uh, I would say for, for us with TOA and the Philippine um, market that we're in, none of that is true. Absolutely none of it is true. When I was a partner at my prior company and I was asked to build the practice in India, uh, the CEO was like, okay, Dina, well, you know, we could have 12 people in India for the price of one in the US. Well, okay, well, let's do the KPIs. It takes 14 of them to do the work of one. So, you know, what are we talking about here, really? Um, so I think you guys were really smart with the Philippines-based um, facility because there are so many accountants there. You know, a lot of the big accounting firms all have um, offices there. I think our first guy came from like an Ernst & Young affiliate there. I came from Ernst & Young, so I felt like I knew what kind of training he had. So I really had high expectations for the talent, and he, he fulfilled that. He, he's a rock star. We love him. So I would say that is the biggest myth. You have to try it. I, I've spoke so highly about TOA to so many people here that run businesses and they all did the same thing, but Dina, but Dina, and I'm like, just try it. I'm telling you. So I have two colleagues that have outsourced and you're using your center to fulfill their needs here in the US and uh, no complaints. That's awesome. We certainly love and appreciate the referrals. So Danny, you work obviously in a, in a really specialist area and I know that some of our existing clients could probably get the benefit of speaking to you regarding sales tax and how could our listeners get in contact with you? What's the best way for them to be able to reach out and find you if they want to have a chat further with you? Well, obviously you can always call us directly. It goes right to my cell phone at 888-872-6579. Or you can find us on the web at gabletaxgroup.com. There's actually a link right there. You can schedule a call with me or one of, one of my members and uh, get a free consultation. We do free sales tax consultations, free 30-minute consultations. Ask as many questions as you like. You can also find us anywhere, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you follow us on Instagram at the sales tax gurus, we do have recorded um, sales tax tips and other information that's done by our VP of operations, Lindsay Sisk. Um, so go ahead and check it out and get some advice on what you need to do in the sales tax world. Awesome. I love it. And thank you so much for your time today. There is so many golden nuggets and I've written down heaps of notes. So I'm sure our listeners would have taken a lot out of today. So thank you again for all of your knowledge that you've shared with us today. Well, thank you. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. And have a great day.